uh, we're all trying to do the best that we can to support our community and through education, which is the greatest equalizer, um, impact social and economic development. This is In the Know with ACCT, the voice of community college leaders. I'm Jacob Bray. This episode of In the Know features in-depth conversation of ACCT's most recent report, Strengthening Rural Community Colleges, Innovations and Opportunities, which was researched and written by ACCT's Senior Program Manager, Rachel Rush Marlowe. Travis Rindell, Senior Communications Officer for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, moderates a conversation between Dave Loop, President of Beaufort College in North Carolina, and Martha Garcia, Superintendent and President of Imperial Valley Community College in California. This is part two of a two-part episode. The conversation picks back up with discussion of housing options for students. This conversation was recorded on Zoom, so please excuse a few brief dips in audio quality. For us, from my perspective, um, a major recommendation to those of you that are interested in these types of projects, uh, it's important that they're created understanding the student's needs. What is it that they need from their perspective? We may assume that we know what they need, but in reality, that that should come from them and we create based on their needs. What's critical is the technical assistance that is necessary to try to create these types of projects. Frankly, we did not have a uh, site project analysis completed. And as we were um, evolving through a partnership with the city of El Centro, uh, extremely grateful for their trust, but also for their guidance in regards to uh, hiring consultants, uh, specifically one, that helped us finalize documents that were uh, requirements uh, in order to be in abidance with the type of funding that we received, um, that the city of El Centro received, but all us, we had to ensure we abided by those requirements, such as developing a marketing plan for how we would, were going to advertise uh, the tiny homes, um, even the application, obviously the requirements of uh, logos that have to be included in the application to be in abidance with uh, the regulations for the type of funding that we received. Uh, so that technical assistance is critical. And frankly, I've, I've personally invested many hours conducting research, but reality, I, I am not an expert in this field and we've managed to move through with guidance and obviously the commitment of my team and the commitment of the board and the IBC Foundation, we've managed to get here, but it hasn't been easy. And it is important to recognize that we do need that additional expert support when it comes to developing these projects. But I'll end by um, stating that it's really amazing to share with you all that our students who will be living at uh, Lotus Living, we're prioritizing former foster youth. They will only be paying $200 a month and that includes their rent and your utilities. And, and for California, obviously that is, I didn't wanna place another barrier on students. 
because you may be able to provide access to housing, but if the cost is uh, prohibitive, then you've placed a barrier, an, an additional barrier to a challenge that they were already experiencing. So lots of lessons learned, Travis and Dave. Um, however, I feel that I've definitely grown through this process and I'm learning every day. And at the end of the day, the core of why we're doing what we're doing, frankly, is worth it because our students deserve it. That's fantastic, thank you. We're gonna turn uh, and open things up to participants to submit questions in the chat and Rachel's going to help. But before we do that, I, I always like to bring some hope into the conversation, especially against the backdrop of a lot of struggle in the last 18 months that I know leaders like you have you know, had to shoulder. Um, but when you think about the hope um, and whether it's starting with your campus and thinking more broadly or one or both, you know, if we look at, if we were looking another year from now, if we were to have this webinar a year from now when we're all a little grayer, including Jihang, um, what would you want to be able to say, you know, in terms of, of, of what has happened? Uh, it sort of relates to a vision, but it, you know, look at put, put yourself in the crystal ball for a, a year out, and say, I really want to be able to say to my community, to my colleagues, to my peers, I want to be able to say this about what we what we achieved. I I would say first of all that I'm tremendously proud of the faculty and staff at this institution and how they adapted so readily and were so willing to take on the onerous responsibilities of dealing with such a dangerous situation. We never closed. We made sure that the general public knew that we were not going to close. Um, that didn't mean that many or most of our employees were working remotely, but uh, we were still open for business. We were still going to be providing instruction. And so I'm immensely proud of them. And that shows the sort of adaptability that, that I think are, is innate in human beings, but also especially folks in rural areas where we are used to working as a community and where there are those social bonds between people who are well, this just it's cut to the chase. It's the South. They may be related to each other. Um, and so, uh, but, but they're, they, they know each other, they care about each other in a genuine fashion. And so I, I think that that's the thing that we can take away from this, especially, um, you know, I think from a large, uh, broader perspective is, is just how, successful we were and, and have been in dealing with a really an unprecedented um, situation in, in a modern era. And, um, and, and I think it says a lot about the genuine humanity of the folks that I work with and, and the strengths, uh, despite all of the gloom and doom and the fatalism that can be part of the rural South. Um, I think just the, the humanity that is there and, and the, the responsibility that people take for their neighbors. 
I share the same uh, sentiments um, to the faculty, the employees, the students of Imperial Valley College. I'm extremely grateful for their flexibility and their patience because we were providing guidance and by the next day or within the same day, there was changes and we uh, obviously communicated that. And I, at the end of my messages, I would say we are only stronger together in spite of these major challenges. And the fact that we closed for three weeks, 7% um, of our instruction continued to be face-to-face. -face. And uh, we had to ensure we, we uh, help our nurses graduate, that we helped our firefighters graduate, that we helped our post uh, students continue on so that um, the community who needed them, especially during this time, our EMTs, uh, that they were prepared to go in and support in the workforce. So I mentioned earlier, our gymnasium was converted to a federal medical station, not once, but twice. So we were, there was medical services being provided to local uh, community members that were impacted by COVID. And obviously that was fearful and it's understandable that it was fearful. And um, lately that gymnasium was converted for a, a little over a month to a quarantine and isolation center for the immigrants that are seeking asylum, that are crossing this border uh, that is located 13 miles from us. And uh, once again, our, our, the employees, the students have been very patient. Um, so we've gone through major, major uh, challenges and experiences and made very difficult decisions, but we've done it together and I'm thankful to them. In regards to the housing project, one year from now, my goal is that we will expand, that we will demonstrate to others that this is a successful model that could be replicated and that we uh, could support in any way that we can other institutions that are um, seeking to create these types of communities. Why? Because our students deserve it. And I know that the students of your rural communities also deserve it and that they need it more than anything. So that is what I foresee hopefully for a year from now, um, but definitely a lot of hope. We can't lose it. There are better times ahead and we will only be stronger because of everything that we've experienced and been challenged with. So thank you. That's fantastic. And I'm going to the chat and uh, some mechanical questions um, for the two of you related to your funding and, and governance, specifically your funding base, you know, your local authority relative to any state support, and then your governance structure. Um, your trustees appointed, uh, elected both, neither. So some of the, what I call name, rank, and serial number questions. Do you want to go ahead, Martha? I, I don't want to jump in front of you. That's, that's okay, go ahead, Dave. I, um, our uh, college is uh, what I like to call a quasi-independent um, public institution in the sense that our board of trustees is appointed um, one third of them by uh, the Beaufort County Commission, 
um, one third of them by the Beaufort School Board and one third by the governor of the state. And then we have also an outlier from one of our other uh, small counties um, that we uh, now serve Washington County where we also have a board member. I'm very fortunate in the sense that North Carolina is a fairly um, autonomous sort of system. We do have a North Carolina community college system that handles significant components of the budget and uh, also the legislative process uh, in terms of uh, the sort of political uh, wrangling that goes on inevitably with that whole process. Um, but we're very fortunate here to be um, fairly autonomous. I report to the board of trustees and the board of trustees, as long as it behaves itself, basically um, has the capacity to um, make policy uh, for the college, for the betterment of the college. And uh, I'm glad to say that the particular board I have right now um, allows me to, and, and, and my colleagues in the administration and the faculty and through a shared governance role, uh, to be able to, to manage the day-to-day -day operations of the institution and set the strategic planning for it. Um, so we get approximately uh, two-thirds of our funding from the state of North Carolina. One-third of it comes from Beaufort County, which is the largest of our four counties by far. Uh, which is why we're still called Beaufort County Community College, even though uh, we serve four different counties in this region. Um, I haven't been so brave as to suggest changing the name since they give us one third of our budget <laughs> each year. Um, so um, that's sort of how it operates in North Carolina. Um, it's of course a highly political process. We often don't get our budgets until early fall, which makes life very difficult in terms of planning especially and um, this year it's particularly important because we're we're hoping for some sort of stabilization uh, appropriation from the general assembly because of all of the uh, 54 of our 58 colleges in north carolina have uh, declines in enrollment which and of course we're still funded uh, by fde enrollment so I report to a seven elected uh, board, uh, seven trustees, they're all elected within uh, the jurisdiction of Imperial County. The California Community College is comprised of 116 colleges that are under the umbrella of the California Community College Chancellor's Office. Most of our funding, or at least most of Imperial Valley College's funding uh, is provided through the state uh, supplemented by some of the tax revenue and tuition. However, most of our students are eligible for the tuition waiver. Therefore, our uh, revenue that comes from tuition is minimal. Uh, what I'd like to convey in regards to this project and many of the services that we provide, we are very proactive when it comes to grant writing. Uh, I. I, and I know the presidents that serve uh, rural colleges 
we continue to write grants even as as presidents why because it's necessary and i i know that we will never receive uh the funding that's necessary to provide our students the the services that they need not through the general funding uh processes that we have in place therefore for us here, we are very proactive and seek additional funding sources to be able to provide these services and, and, and more services that our students need and uh, receive. We are providing comprehensive uh, student support services in general from, from a social services philosophy. And many of those services are afforded through grants. I think to piggyback on that as well, if I may, I think many of us in the rural areas do not have the capacity to raise significant amounts of money from private gifts and private donors. It's just not the same kind of, first of all, farmers are can be a fairly tight bunch. And they also have a lot of money tied up in a lot of infrastructure themselves. And so, uh, and, and fishermen are the same way in my area. So we are very uh, reliant on grant writing to try to provide especially the wraparound services for our institution and our students. I think there's a related question that, that came up in the chat for Dr. Garcia about the engagement then of local communities, in your case, specifically El Centro, and how those partnerships come together. And if that, if any of those partnerships also then include a, a financial component. We're very fortunate. And um, those of us that live, which I suspect most of you that have joined us that live in rural communities, because we have less resources, it is critical that we work collectively uh, to try to serve or better serve our communities. Um, and that is the case here in Imperial County as well. I uh, met initially with a county CEO and uh, conveyed my vision for this project. And um, then I followed with meeting with uh, the city manager for the city of El Centro. And the reason for meeting with her initially was that we had identified a uh, location in the city of El Centro that we were trying to secure. She believed in uh, our vision. She believed in the reason why we should collectively work together to support our students, especially our current or former foster youth students prioritizing them. She, she obviously, the city of El Centro owns the project uh, and have essentially handed over the project to the foundation for 55 years. We're not charged city, uh, the normal fees that we would have been charged uh, when, because it's owned by the city of El Centro. Um, so there are many savings that have been afforded to us because there was one individual, which is the city manager, who trusted us and felt compelled to help us serve these students, which obviously are 
not all, but many of them living in, in the jurisdiction of the city of El Centro. I will highlight that the location is located four and a half miles from the college. Um, and students uh, have easy access to bus, public transportation, or could drive, ride a bike to the college if uh, able and willing to do so. Um, so it's centrally located. There's uh, uh, grocery stores within walking distance, Starbucks. The students have, uh, I believe in my own view, uh, a, a community that they will be proud of because we, our intention was that we were creating a community within the community, a community of support, a community of care, a community of pride. And um, it all comes down to us coming together to serve this, this community as best as possible. And you mentioned students and we had a, we had a uh, question in the chat about the demographics. And at the outset, Dr. Garcia, you had spoken a little bit to the makeup of your student populations, but I think for both of you, <laughs> excuse me, to drill down a little bit, you know, we know that it, particularly in the two-year sector in the United States, the median age is well north of 25 in most cases. The percentage that are working full-time or part-time is high. The percentage that are parents and or caregivers of some form or fashion is high. So sort of talk through a little bit of the numbers of that. And then, you know, also then you had mentioned, I think both of you had mentioned, and, and we love using this phrase, student-centered. How do those demographics really drive the type of holistic support and, and service that you both referenced, you know, all the way from the sublime to the mundane, the things of what hours are the office of this open, or how do we make sure that a student can access this, given the fact that they're not just a student? Uh, well, we're, we're about 60% uh, white, um, which is roughly the population of our service region. Uh, we're about 35% African-American, uh, which is a little below where we would like to be when the, the, the region is about um, close to, oh, it's in the upper 30s. And then we have a increasingly large um, Hispanic population. We have um, four early college high schools uh, where in each of our four school districts that we serve, four counties, a uh, significant number of those students are DACA students um, because of the, the and, and their parents quite honestly, in many cases are, are working on the farms in this area uh, or in uh, the laundries uh, that are uh, run for um, the outer banks and the beaches. Um, and so this is an opportunity with the early college high school for these students to go get free tuition, college uh, tuition and fees uh, without having to pay because we do not have a tuition and fee uh, scholarship program here in North Carolina like uh, many other states do. Uh, so for us, the, the key thing is that we have a significant problem with minority males and it's, it's something that we have to work through. We have to, um, for example, we have to be better at 
at providing concrete reasons for why members of that, that particular um, subgroup want to be in class and need to be here. We need to be concrete about what can be, what are the benefits from that and uh, in particular. And so I, I think that um, also, I think that there, there is um, an issue in, in the rural South that is, is, is still part of our problem here in that, well, college isn't for me. Um, um, there's a fatalism among uh, not just minority um, populations, but, but also poor white populations, that college is not for us. Um, and that's something that we have to get by, uh, which we have to do through uh, an educational process and, and the admissions process, quite frankly, uh, that yes, it is for you. And, and if we can do that early in terms of dual enrollment, early college, high school, it benefits especially those students of color uh, who um, have a particularly difficult time. Um, one of the things that I insist upon here is that we never ever ask anybody's citizenship. Um, there, there are a lot of folks in this region who will make political hay out of that sort of thing. And it's something that we are not going to move toward. Uh, and so we go out of our way to ensure that that population gets the benefits that they deserve, um, just like everyone else. And so uh, I think that for, for us, that means that in particular, we have to get beyond this sort of sense of fatalism that is inherent in the population. Thank you, Dave. I, I commend you for your commitment to protecting those students. Um, Sincerely, thank you. You're welcome. And, and I'll be very concise. Um, so 92% of our students are Latinx. 4% um, of them are white, 1% uh, African-American and 3% other. Um, and what's interesting for us in comparison to the state of California community college colleges is about two thirds of our students are 24 and younger, which is a, a much younger student population. Um, but I will relate it back to our homeless student population, which is 210 self-identified students uh, as homeless self-identified home uh, students. And 149 of them are ages 25 and younger. And that has been extremely surprising to the community. Uh, but obviously it's relatable to the percentage of uh, traditional students that we reserve. We serve, um, I'll tie that to uh, how did we uh, come about developing a comprehensive uh, student support services uh, program. And it really started from a, um, a few employees distributing snacks to students who were experiencing hunger out of a, a cubicle. That led to us developing uh, our food pantry, to collaborating with the food bank, to getting to know our students, reduce stigma. There is no shame in, in having need in life. Um, and 
that has, it is those services, those experiences, reducing the stigma that has led to us getting to hear from our students directly, what are their needs and us trying to fulfill the responsibility that we have to provide them the support that they need in order to complete, to be retained, to complete and ultimately succeed in life. Um, so I'll end there. It's been a pleasure. Dave, thank you for everything and, and Travis and Rachel and Jihang, but it's honored to meet uh, Dave and, and Travis. Um, thank you. Well, my thanks to both of you, Dr. Martha Garcia, Dr. Dave Loop, I think if there are some really critical takeaways from today's conversation about strengthening rural community colleges, it's about the students. It's about the students. It's about the students. It's about understanding who they are. It's about understanding their needs as they change. And it's about cultivating champions on the board of trustees and off the board of trustees to meet those needs with communities, with other funders. Um, but, but there's student-centered transformation uh, is something that is the future. Uh, and in fact, it's the present. Um, so with that, I'm gonna turn it back to Rachel and Jihang with congratulations from the foundation on this really good work uh, and our best wishes that it continues and that it grows. Well, thank you all so much for joining us today. Uh, it was a great conversation. And as you all heard, we're really just uh, scratching the surface and beginning this work. And to echo Travis's comments, this is really all about the students, and that's why I was so thrilled to be able to invite uh, Dr. Loop and Dr. Garcia here today. Uh, there's no reason to, to listen to me talk when you can hear from some of our fabulous presidents who are working with our students. Um, but I just wanted to thank everyone for joining us today again and let you all know that uh, this is just the beginning. So we will be continuing this work, uh, and as part of that, be building out uh, what we hope to create a rural community college network. So more information soon, and uh, you can follow up on that at rural.acct.org. This has been part two of a two-part episode. If you missed part one, we posted it last week. Additionally, please get in touch if you have ideas for future episodes. You can email me directly at jbray@acct.org. at As always, thanks for listening.